Again, good morning everyone. Um, welcome those of you who are joining us a little bit later today. Now over the past few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about the topic of discipleship, um, especially what it means to grow in our faith. And so for this week and next week, I just want to kind of touch on these two ideas. And I think there's two aspects about discipleship that I want to kind of ponder or think through. And today we're going to be talking about growing deep. And next week, we're going to be talking about reaching wide. So today's sermon titled is Growing Deep. And as I was thinking about our passage today from Colossians, it reminded me of uh, the idea of feedback loops. Now, I remember there was this one time um, I was at a family friend's house um, in the summer, and they had this really amazing speaker set up for their TV, and the sound was just really like otherworldly. And now this family, for one reason or another, they, they had a microphone, probably for karaoke, and me being just an inquisitive young child, wondered what would happen if I put that microphone close to the speaker. Now this, the speaker at that time was, it was like at a very, very low volume, just so that, you know, the parents and the friends, they could kind of talk amongst themselves without having to like shout over the TV. Um, but as I moved the microphone, you know, closer and closer to the speaker, the sound started to grow louder and louder and louder until it made this, you know, awful screeching noise, um, which scared the daylights out of me and my family's friend. Now in science, we, we call this a positive feedback loop. And all that means is that this loop just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, much like a snowball kind of rolling down a hill, it just gets larger and larger and larger. But the question is, right, this is in science, this is positive feedback loops. How do we leverage this type of positive feedback loop in our lives? How do we begin to become stronger and stronger and stronger in various aspects of our lives? Now, I, I don't think I've, I've told many people, uh, but back in college and during parts of seminary, I, I loved to play uh, video games. And I loved to play it so much that at one point in, in seminary, I was uh, one of the top 50 players in North America in some online you know, fighting game and top 100 in the entire world, um, which is pretty crazy, right? That's like 99.9 .9 percentile. And to rise above 99.9% .9 of all players in the world, regardless of whether it's a silly video game or even things like your business, career, or even school, to rise to that level is incredibly hard to do. And one thing that propelled me forward was when I leveraged these positive feedback loops. And I think all people to some degree, they might have experienced this before. We start to get good at something, we start to make these small victories, and then it encourages us to continue to move forward, tackling another challenge, overcoming another hurdle. And when we continue to do that, we begin to push the boundary further and further as we begin to get better and better. Practicing a certain skill on the piano, practicing your scales, practicing certain drills, it starts to become enjoyable. It no longer becomes a chore. It becomes enjoyable because we realize that by practicing these things, we are becoming better at our skill set, at this goal that we're trying to achieve. And the funny thing is, even when we face setbacks or failures, we are still encouraged because we realize that even in failures, even in setbacks, there are always lessons to be learned to, again, propel us forward, to move us to the next level. 
And as long as we kind of stay in this loop, we do get better and better and better until we obtain mastery or expertise at a certain task, skill, or subject. Now, in our passage, Paul, he actually presents a very specific protocol on how to develop a positive spiritual feedback loop. And for our faith, I think it's very important because this feedback loop is what allows us to stay motivated, but this is also what allows us to grow deep, to grow deep in our faith, in our understanding of God, and living that out through our lives. And so what is this specific protocol that Paul has in mind? Well, it is, starts with right understanding, the right heart or the right mindsets, and finally, the right path, and it all operates as this loop. So let's take a look at our passage today um, from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 to 14. Now, Paul is beginning this letter by addressing the church in Colossae, and he, he says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, in our passage uh, where Paul starts off in regards to growing spiritually, if we can go on to the very next slide, is that Paul prays that God will continue to fill them with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. And for any Christian, whether they've just started their faith journey or whether they've been Christians for decades, understanding who God is and what he has done is the foundation of our faith. It is absolutely essential for all of us. If we do not have a proper understanding of God, we begin to be tempted to create our own God that fits our own desires rather than the God revealed to us in scripture. So how do we begin to understand God? Um, the first and perhaps most obvious, but I think not often appreciated way is to actually spend time studying scripture. And I believe it's not appreciated because sometimes we end up treating scripture as kind of like this textbook. And I don't think anyone on their day off or as they're kind of winding down for the night wants to read a textbook. Um, and the thing is, when we think of scripture as a textbook, it becomes to become very lifeless, very dry. But what scripture really is and what it's really meant to be is it's meant to be God's word. I might have shared this story with you guys before, so please bear with me if I have. But early in my Christian faith, I had a problem and that I would pray and I would pray to God. I would ask him all these questions, but how do I hear God back? I had no idea. How do I actually hear from God? And so I, I brought this to my pastor, I asked Pastor Doug, how do I hear God? And what he told me forever changed how I looked at scripture. 
Originally, I just saw scripture as a book to be studied, just like any other textbook I was reading in college. It was purely just an intellectual exercise that anyone could do, whether they're Christian or not. They're just stories to remember or verses to be memorized, laws to be understood. But when you truly begin to understand the Bible as God's word, then the book begins to change. It's not just cool stories or rules to remember, but rather it becomes a revelation of God's character. Jesus' death on the cross is not just some event that happened in human history, but now it becomes a demonstration of God's love, a revelation of how much he loves us. Scripture also begins to become a dialogue between humanity and God. We begin to see through Scripture how God answers and responds to the suffering and sin in the world. We begin to see how God responds and answers to the topic of justice. We begin to see what role we are to play in this world that God has created as his holy people, as his children. And so when we see or when we truly understand scripture from this perspective, that it is a dialogue between God and humanity, it no longer becomes this boring story. And it doesn't matter how many times we have read the gospel story or how many times we have read Moses, you know, crossing the Red Sea. We never grow tired of these stories because each time we read them it becomes a conversation, it becomes a conversation between us and God. And God begins to explain through these stories who he is, and how much he loves us. And so what do we learn from our passage? Well, on the surface, we read the bare facts, right? Oh, God has rescued us from darkness, brought us into the kingdom of light, right? But when we look underneath the surface at the dialogue that God is engaging with us, we see a different story. We see the absolute grace and love of God. We learn that God indeed is a loving father. We learn that he does not desire to leave us alone to be lost. He does not desire for us to be punished or to suffer in this world. He does not take pleasure in watching us being enslaved by all sorts of things that are out there in this world. We see that he sees the brokenness inside of us and he desires to bring us to wholeness in his kingdom. We who were once all the prodigal children of God, those who rejected God, ran away from God, we are now brought home. And just as Jesus is the son of God, we who are brought into his kingdom as his people, we are now God's new sons and daughters. That just as God sees his son, Jesus Christ, is the same way that he sees us now, as his own sons, as his own daughters. And so when we read scripture, with the perspective of, you know, it's not just understanding the bare facts, but rather understanding the person and the nature of God himself and what he has to tell us through these words that produces within us what I call right understanding. We're no longer tossed around by every teaching of this world because we actually truly understand. We truly know who this God is. We are taught by him directly through his word and through his spirits. And as we develop right understanding, then the roots of the gospel begin to grow deeper from our heads now down to our hearts as we develop what I call the right heart or a right mindset. So through right understanding, we kind of set the foundation of our faith, but through right heart or through the right mindset, we begin to adopt a different way of experiencing the world around us and also a different attitude towards God himself. 
And the first thing that changes in regards to our hearts and our minds is that we are given strength through the Spirit. And more specifically, we are given strength in order to cultivate endurance and patience. And for Christians, these are two important things to develop within our hearts and minds. I think as Christians, sometimes we live in this interesting dilemma where we feel like we're strangers in this world. We obviously, we have one foot in this world, but we also have our other foot in the kingdom of heaven. And through the forgiveness of sins, we have already tasted what a life free from sin, free from shame, free from suffering is like. However, at the same time, because our other foot is still here on earth, we realize that the world is filled with poisoned arrows. And I think suffering is perhaps one of the most deadly poisoned arrows out there. Even the tiniest brush with suffering poisons, I think, the deepest areas of our hearts, filling us with doubt, fear, anxiousness, sorrow, and even resentment or hate. And unfortunately, when it reaches the deepest parts of our hearts, when suffering reaches the deepest parts of our hearts, we might even begin to redirect those feelings to God, where we begin to doubt him, hate him, or possibly even fear him. And so if suffering is one of the most dangerous poison-tipped arrows in this world, then strength and endurance from God is one part of the antidote. Through wisdom and knowledge, we begin to realize that, hey, suffering, unfortunately, is unavoidable in this life. But we also recognize and realize that there will be a time where we'll no longer have to straddle between this world and the next. We realize that there is a time when both of our feet will be firmly planted in the kingdom of heaven. We have a hope to look forward to. We realize that suffering is not the end of our lives. But at the same time, we also know that perseverance and endurance builds our character. When we face challenges, not only do we refuse to give in or give up, but we also begin to learn how to develop trust. We learn how to trust in God's faithfulness and provision during the deepest moments of our suffering. We begin to develop empathy for others as we see them going through a similar struggle. And as we do this, we also develop hope as well as we see trials of any kind as an opportunity to continue to grow in our faithfulness to God. But the second part of the antidote given to us in regards to overcoming suffering is joy, specifically in our passage, joyful thanksgiving. And this joyful thanksgiving is not just rooted in the blessings that we receive here in this life, but more importantly, it is joyful thanksgiving that is rooted in our right understanding of who God is and what he has done. In a passage, Paul encourages the people of Colossae to give joyful thanks to the Father. Why? Because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We're thankful because we understand that we are now set free. We are now set free from the shackles of sin. We are thankful because we finally see that there is a love that is unfailing and a love that is eternally faithful. We're thankful because we also have a new identity that is not rooted in what other people think about us, but it is rooted in what God thinks of us. And what does God think of us? He calls us and acknowledges us as his holy people. And as we reflect on this, not only do we become thankful for what Christ has done for us, but there's joy as well. 
I think any Christian who takes even the smallest amount of time to observe these truths will quickly come to the realization that the fundamental problem of their lives has now been resolved. More than just money, more than just food, the sin, the guilt, the shame, the suffering that once lay deep within our hearts are now permanently removed forever. They're now given a new chance to be a new person with a new life. They are given a second chance at living. When we're given a second chance at living, there's joy that sits deep within our hearts that pushes away all the suffering in this world. And so we see that with right understanding through knowing who God is and what he has done, that instills within us the right heart, where we are given strength in order to develop endurance, patience, and also joy as well, based on what we know, based on what Christ has done. But the roots of the gospel actually don't end here. They don't just stop at our hearts. From our hearts, the roots of the gospel now grow all the way down to our feet as we are now encouraged to walk on what I call the right path. There's a, um, talking about the right path, there's a, a funny story I, I once heard dealing with the question of identity. And in this short story, it goes a bit like this. Uh, two guys, they meet on an airplane on their way to California, and so they have like five hours to talk. And so one of the guys, he, he, he turns to his neighbor and he asks, oh, so tell me about yourself. And the other guy responds, oh, I'm a writer. Wow, how, how long have you been writing for? And the other man responds, oh, I've been writing for about uh, nine to ten years now. And so for the next you know, two or three hours, they have this entirely pleasant conversation about the history of literature, their favorite books, the theories of writing, and seeing how knowledgeable this writer is, the man begins to you know, get quite excited. Maybe he's sitting next to, you know, a super famous author that he doesn't know. So, you know, he turns and he asks, like, so have you written any books that I might have read before? And the writer, he responds, oh, I've, I've actually never written before. I'm like, what do you mean you've never written before? And you're a writer? Like, you've never even written a poem? And the other man responds, no, I actually have never written, not, not even a poem. And the point of the story is to illustrate that one's identity is not rooted in just what one believes or what one feels, but actually ultimately in what they do. A writer who does not write is not a writer. An artist who does not draw is not an artist, regardless of how knowledgeable they are in regards to art theory. Likewise, can a Christian who does not love God or love their neighbor be called a Christian? Now, perhaps this is a question that only God can answer, but in our passage, Paul actually understands the importance of this truth, of living out one's faith. Paul starts off the passage by saying that he's been praying nonstop for them since the day he has heard about them. Paul then goes on to explain why he's been praying for them by saying that we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and through all understanding that the Spirit gives, right? So Paul's been saying, I've been praying for you to have the right knowledge why? So that you may walk. In the NIV, it says you may live, but in the Greek, it actually means so that you may walk a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruits in every good work. As we learn about God, as we're filled with wisdom, as we're filled with a deep inner sense of joy, we're inspired 
to give this free gift that we have received to others. Being Christ-like is no longer an obligation, no longer a duty, no longer something that we're just called to do, but it becomes something that we simply desire to do. We desire to love our neighbors as ourselves. We desire to seek the well-being of those around us. We desire to transform others into Christ's likeness. We desire joy, not just for ourselves, but for all people in this world. We desire to see lives, communities, and nations transformed by the power of the gospel. And when this desire reaches a critical mass, we simply cannot help but to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And so now we actually see the full picture. The seed that is planted in our head has grown its roots all the way down through our hearts and down to our feet. From head to toe, literally, our entire being is transformed by God. Our understandings, our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions have been radically and totally transformed. And theologically, we understand that we are new creations, but when the roots of the gospel actually touch every aspect of our lives, being a new creation in Christ is no longer some sort of abstract concept, but rather we actually experience it firsthand. We experience what it is like to be a new creation while we are still living in this world. We don't have to wait in heaven for a new body, or we don't have to wait for a new world to come, we can experience it today if we let these roots grow from our head all the way down to our feet. And once the roots spread to touch every aspect of our lives, Paul here in a very critical way, he encourages us to continue the cycle by asking us to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. And we see that this feedback loop, if we can go to the next slide, um, this feedback, yes, that's the right one. We can see that this feedback loop continues to go round and round. That as we do the word, we are encouraged to continue to understand who this God is. And this feedback loop continues and continues and continues until every part of our lives are touched by the spirits of God. And so brothers and sisters, I, I encourage you to ask yourselves, where are you at in your spiritual growth? Maybe you don't have the right understanding of the gospel yet, and hey, that is absolutely okay. We have literally brothers and sisters gathered all around us who have had their lives transformed by God. Or maybe perhaps we are having difficulty growing the roots down to our hearts because it's blocked by worldly attachments or by mental health disorders. And if that's the case, I encourage you to talk to me or to any brother or sister that you trust in. Or perhaps maybe you have difficulty having it reach down to your feet because you want to serve, but you just don't know how to serve or who to serve. And if that's the case, let's have a dialogue. Let's talk about some creative ways we can inspire you to move those roots all the way down to your feet so that you can live out the gospel in every aspect of your lives. But even if you've been totally transformed head to toe, I encourage you not to rest on your laurels either, but to come back to right understanding. Being transformed into Christ's likeness is literally a lifelong journey, and there are always more areas in our lives that we have not fully given up to God. But most of all, I want to encourage you all today, um, don't mistake your lack of progress for being a bad Christian or an unworthy Christian. 
It's important to remember that our Christian walk is actually not about perfection, but about progress. We all gathered here today, myself included, we are all works in progress, continually being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you all to remember that this is not a solo journey, but that Christ has accomplished everything necessary for our salvation, and the Holy Spirit that indwells you will continue to give you the strength to live it out. And also, don't forget, we're not alone in that we also have brothers and sisters who are journeying alongside with us. And so I encourage us all, the same grace that has saved you is the same grace that will sustain you and allow you to grow. So why don't we take a time uh, to come together uh, for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We understand that with our minds, that on the cross, you have paid for all of our shortcomings, even our shortcomings as Christians. We do not do what you ask of us, and still, we are forgiven. Because of your unfailing love, we are all here to express not just our thanks, but Father, our joy as well. We're joyful that we're allowed to live a new life. We are joyful that we have a second chance. We are joyful knowing that you are our Father and that we are your children. And so teach us, inspire us to be more like your son in thoughts, word, and deed. You've started a good work in us, and we are confident, Lord, that you'll perfect us until the day of Christ. So be with us today as we commit our lives to your hands. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.